Hey everyone, welcome to the DTM News Show. I got Josh Wagner here today with me. Thanks, Josh, for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Well, very my pleasure as well. Thanks for coming. Um, a little context to the audience. So, came across Josh, I think on LinkedIn actually, and uh, um, he's a, a revenue leader. I believe you're a CRO currently, and uh, but also an advisor and and um, in the B two B space. From, from growth, marketing, sales, et cetera. Uh, great follow, great content. You also have a podcast, uh, which is the main thing that, that kind of stood out to me. Um, and uh, after we connected, you know, even just talking a few minutes ago, there's a lot we could talk about, but I love to focus on uh, specifically the title of your podcast, which is um, Love Selling Hate Sales. So let's start there, Josh. Tell me about what, what was the impetus of that concept? And then what does that concept mean to you? Um, and how do you describe it? Yeah, for sure. You know, it means a lot to me because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart at, at the mm. end of the day, right? Like I started a business out of college. It was fine. Did all right. Made some money. Wasn't anything, you know, my business partner and I created something that wasn't really scalable. I don't even know if you could call it a business. We created jobs for ourselves, but that type of experience is where I thrive. And I, I feel mm. like sales done well is a very entrepreneurial enterprise, mm. right? depending on where you land. So in my view, there's a couple sides of the spectrum. There is startup sales, which you tend to have to be a little bit of a cowboy to do because nothing's defined for you. You don't have the playbook. You don't have all the collateral. You don't have the scripts. You don't have the process. You're building it as you go. Right. And on the other side of the spectrum, there is, let's say selling at Oracle, right? Which is very formulaic. Everything is, you know, there's almost white lines painted with which you can, you can play in maybe not so much in the upper enterprise, but if, if you're really selling into SMB mid market, it's all very formulaic. And I love the relationship side of sales. I love talking to people. I love learning about their business. I love diving into their business and building those relationships and, and learning about those stories. I hate the metrics. I hate the, the shitty middle management. I hate a lot of those little things that don't seem to work well, like all the things that, especially in B2B SaaS mm. that you find you hate about it. That's the stuff that drives me nuts. You know, you teach yeah. sellers product, you teach them scripts, but you don't teach them what matters, which is having some business acumen and being mm. able to really have conversations with the people that are leading the departments that they're trying to sell into. So that's a lot of what that was the impetus for the show. I wrote an article about it, got a tremendous response. I had been wanting to start a podcast for a while. This was a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh man, this might be, this might be it because so many yeah. people were like, yeah, I agree with you. Or yeah, you're an idiot. I'm like, perfect. This sounds awesome. <laughs> you're probably doing something right when you get both of those reactions. Yeah. Um, in my experience, <laughs> that's super cool. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for the background. I think there is a, a lot I can resonate, especially the entrepreneurial track and even, you know, the skill sets you gain from marketing sales, from working even in small companies um, or, you know, working in a startup and in all the things you learn along the way. Um, and great skill sets. I know I've leveraged in multiple arenas um, and even in my own, you know, my own career. Um, and I think from the sales side too, as well, from, uh, you know, from, from selling, from even, uh, you know, there's a, pa there's a passion around that as far as like evangelism. I think what I took from your title is like, I love being passionate about things, sharing what I'm passionate about, right? And that evangelism, mm -hmm. not enough is talked about there, number one. And even like you talk about formulaic or you talk about, um, trying to find, you know, either scalable models 
not a lot of talking about there as far as passion or even expertise around what you're talking about. And then the general business acumen. I mean, I think uh, the biggest problem with marketers and sellers is that we're usually not our buyers, right? We're coming from a perspective that is not usually from uh, where our buyers are coming from. And so, um, and then I think in general, I'm, I'm curious too, is any of the title um, come, especially from your background and, and what you've seen, and as you've been involved with in organizations, is any of it um, stem from the structures of sales that force people to ultimately not have that either entrepreneurial mindset or even just empathy or being able to connect with people, being able to serve people? Well, if, if you said you listened to some episodes of the show, so you may have heard the phrase, nobody went to school for sales and even less people went to school for mm. sales management. Mm. So it's, it's not necessarily something that has a lot of definition around it. You've got people who have sat in the seat and done it and people who have been successful. And then those methodologies just get kind of, you know, you think of the coaching tree in football, right? Oh, well, so-and-so mm. is a really successful chief revenue officer at this company that went from here to here. So then you've got this person's disciples and then that starts mm. to, you know, get diluted over time and spread out. And it's funny, you talk to salespeople, everything they hate about their boss, they complain about, oh, you know, these pipeline reports are brutal, brutal, uh, putting stuff in CRM, blah, 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 these meetings. And then they get promoted to a frontline manager and they don't know any better. So they just do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just like this cycle that just keeps going on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And what I think sales in general needs is some self-awareness. And that's across mm -hmm. the entire spectrum of what sales is. You just because you're good at sales doesn't mean you're going to be successful in every role. So mm -hmm. I think I'm pretty good at sales. Great. I'm not going to succeed everywhere I go. Like mm -hmm. if I had to go sell microchips to engineers, I'd probably suck. I don't have the right personality. I'm not detail oriented enough. I'm not process driven enough where I could resonate with that persona really well, mm -hmm. but selling marketing to marketers, I was pretty good at it. Right. Like when, when that's what I did. So if you think about a lot of things in sales, there are so many things you could potentially sell, even within let's call it B2B SaaS, which is, you know, the, the, the world where I played a lot, there's a lot of things you could do, right? Like we talked about small company, big company, have enough self-awareness to know I can be a cowboy and I can learn on the fly and I can just go and do and figure shit out. Great. That might be a good environment for you. But if it's not, that's okay. You're not a bad person. Mm -hmm. If you need some structure and some process and some really, you know, go look at the bigger companies, go look at sales loft, go look at seamless, go look at companies that have built mm -hmm. a really good infrastructure that you can just lean into and gain some experience. There's nothing wrong with you. If that's a good fit for you, um, think of the products, think of, you know, there are so many things you should think of and have a little self-awareness around mm -hmm. when it comes to selling. And that comes in leadership too. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm a partner in a venture capital firm and we focus on growth stage companies, right? From hundred K in ARR to, you know, 10 to 20 million in ARR. That's a good spot for me scaling cool. past 20 million. I don't really have any experience there. I'm not, I'm not really very good at it because you start getting real deep into dashboarding and you mm -hmm. know, pulling levers and twisting knobs. But in those earlier stages, you're building the engine, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a good place for me to play. It's a good place for me to I give advice it. to founders but someone else, it might not be like my friend, Ted Purcell, who's been at SAP and Marketo and, mm. um, Clarison, like he knows how to scale big 
business, you know, that hundred million plus, like he, yeah. he he's built for that. I, I'm not. So I think a little self, self-awareness goes a long way in sales in general. I love it. And I think, uh, I think self-awareness, whether you're, we're talking about the actual, like doing sales and having self-awareness about the market and your product oh, yeah. and, and even marketing, but even as a, a practitioner, that's super cool. And I love that perspective. Thanks for sharing. And I think, um, yeah, even my own journey, it's like, uh, and especially in a competitive market, you know, uh, for folks that are looking for jobs or lots of layoffs, and especially right now, um, being super targeted for who, you, who who you're going after, right? Like it's almost as marketers and salespersons, it should be obvious that you should use like ABM type mindset for how you're going to get a new job. But um, maybe over the past ten years, we've been we've we've had the luxury of not necessarily maybe from a recruiting standpoint. So just getting you know, from a career standpoint, we've had the luxury of being able to jump around to different careers and not necessarily having to specialize. If you were in the SaaS B2B world, then you could, in my experience, you can kind of just jump around. You didn't necessarily need to be an expert in particular, particular areas. That's definitely changing from what I've seen. And I'd love to hear your thoughts um, kind of transitioning now from the business perspective. Another thing we talked about was building kind of a go-to-market playbook. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, in 2023, what are you seeing for folks that are building efficient go-to-market playbooks? And that's a loaded question and there's a lot of different ways we go there, but I love just the top of mind and then we can obviously dive deep into any one of those areas as well. Well, you've already touched on one of the biggest key components and that's being very targeted, right? So in my opinion, mm-hmm. niche wins. If you're trying to be all things to all people, you're gonna be nothing to no one, right? So mm-hmm. really finding and honing in on a niche where you can dominate that for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, there's a million lawyers out there, right? But let's say you're the lawyer that crushes it for plumbers. And then the plumber network, just, they love you. You're helping them. You're supporting them. You're ingrained in their lifestyle. You know them, you get them. You just start crushing it in plumbers, right? Like you could be just same lawyer as anybody else, but you've created this niche where Mm. you're a known entity and you're a rock star in that, in that niche. Right. And then maybe you feel like you've saturated the plumber market what's the next nearest neighbor, right? Is it electricians? Is it, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying, just kind of trying to use a basic example. And that's how founders should think about their product. And when they go to market is what niche do I serve the absolute best? Where can I win and where can I win now and get really targeted around that? So anytime in revenue capital makes an investment in a firm, we look for product market fit, but the lack of go to market fit. So that means they've got some tailwinds from the market. The founder's done a good job. Their product is solving a legit problem. And we always look for niched vertical SaaS because of that, Mm. that thesis, right? So now we can say, okay, within that niche, how do we get even smarter about targeting? How do we, what are the attributes that make up the customers that are buying from you? How do we go find more of those? what is that sales cycle going to look like? And that's something that some people don't really necessarily think about when you're thinking about a go-to-market playbook is you could do some customer profiling and you can put some basic data points around it. But you also have to think about, is there a mix in there of short sales cycle, medium sales cycle, long sales cycle? Mm -hmm. Because you could just go, now you're starting to build out a sales team and you say, okay, we want to get you out there and start doing stuff. Well, what if you gave them a whole list of accounts that's, uh, a year plus sales cycle and you're a startup. You, you don't have that kind of runway, right? So you really have to think about 
who you're selling into, what's that sales cycle going to look like? And you know, when you're bringing people in, do they have the chops to go sell into the, that type of market? Right? So if you're a, a mid market type of product, say you're, you know, 50 to 150 K well, where can you move that deal with the highest velocity? That's the thing starts to think of when you think about your go to market playbook, something people don't really think about is where is the most velocity and based on stage of company, if you are an upper mid market company and you've got a hundred million dollars in revenue, you've got the runway to go chase big enterprise deals. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're a sub $20 million company, you may not have the runway to mm -hmm. go start chasing enterprise deals because it, it's going to, it's going to suck up more resources than you have. And, and mm -hmm. people don't necessarily think through that. I love it. Thanks for sharing. I heard two things. First targeting, figuring out who you're going after, why you're going after there. And then how does that coincide with, sales cycles and runway and kind of the overall what is the business objectives um, and what resources are available super helpful i think targeting is something that i don't think we can talk enough about because it's it's like it's ongoing existential crisis of every business i feel like in some way and as it should be because i think it, it's constantly needs to evolve as markets change and and whatnot um and then the nichification of like everything right even content because like look at this podcast we're on right now we're, we're like b2b go-to-market strategies, like a very specific niche within a niche within a niche, right? Um, and that's because not only content, but has become nichified just because there's so much content, but also businesses and SaaS too. There's like, you know, every company, um, there's, a, you know, the numbers, you know, thousands and thousands of not only SaaS providers, but then just companies in general, and especially remote world too, like that also has changed. I've noticed that's changed the environment of you're competing with a global work you know global companies now versus maybe if you were you know local you know a local practitioner or maybe a, a service provider in, in a region you could stay regionalized things are changing in that way you know and, and things have changed a lot especially since the pandemic um what other things you mentioned targeting you mentioned making sure that that's coincided with personal uh, with the sales cycle and making sure you're going after the right people that you can actually land within the appropriate amount of time what else in that go-to-market playbook are you seeing folks that kind of priority that folks should be prioritizing? Yeah, first it's the types of companies and then it's the types of people, right? You know, there's, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, we don't sell to the company, we sell to the people in the company and figuring out where you can win is, is really critical. And then figuring out, especially in the, you, you mentioned iteration, in what environment are you selling is gonna dictate how many people you're selling to. So. Right now, especially in B2B SaaS, almost every deal is going across the CFO's desk at some point. Mm. So if you haven't thought about what, it, what are the plays that you run when it's time to bring the CFO into the cycle, you're likely gonna lose, right? Because the CFO is a different purview than your champion who might be the, mm. the business user or the executive who is saying, yeah, this helps my P&L, you know, whatever, right, right? So really thinking through who are the people in the sales cycle and how do you orchestrate them together? Do you start, is it a champion sale where you start finding a champion who's a business user who can get behind it and then mm -hmm. go help you sell in? Is it an executive problem that you're solving, right? So you have to think through the people uh, and then how do you go and engage with those people? There's gonna be different answers depending on what. I mean, we're luckily in the B2B SaaS world, you know, so many people are on LinkedIn, uh, executives, practitioners and the like. So you can come up with engagement strategies using that mm -hmm. channel, but, at the end of the day, figuring out who that, what that mix of people is and what the timing is for how you touch them. I think there's this kind of this, a blanket approach out there. Like there's, it can't be too much. Reach out to everybody, talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. Maybe, mm -hmm. 
you know, depending on what you sell and, and what your cycle looks like, but just really the second piece is the people, the company, then the people. I love it. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that's uh, couldn't agree more. And there's depending on your strategy, depending on how you're going to market and all the things you mentioned as far as like what segments you're going after or what vertical you're in. Um, it's a pretty mixed bag <laughs> from what I've experienced is like as far as even benchmarks. Um, I do know like right now sales cycles are going longer um, to your point and then probably in, you know, in conjunction with getting more uh, CFOs involved and then larger buying groups, you know, those, those have definitely gone that way as well. Um, I'm curious from like a customer experience standpoint, um, part of listening to your podcast and consuming some of your content, a lot of what I heard was putting ourselves in the buyer's shoes, understanding our buyer. Um, I'd love for you to kind of talk about from even from like a, a mindset perspective, especially as we move towards more efficient growth, as people move towards lower multiples, all these different factors. How, how should we, we be looking at the customer journey and what are like big impact areas folk, people can focus on in that customer journey? Sales, marketing, growth, go to market product, whatever comes to mind. Love to hear your thoughts there. Well, I think a lot of it is thinking about thinking about it as a journey and there's so many different steps. What a lot of people don't recognize is, is a lot of sales cycles require quite a bit of education and mm -hmm. that's an opportunity to position yourself as a consultant versus a salesperson, right? So if you can educate, not just on your product, that's kind of narrow, right? In education, you're, if you're running your discovery process or your line of questioning or whatever, that the answer leads to your product, you're not really doing the client a service, right? If you are running a discovery process that's broad and business centric, right? Then you can help them come up with solutions that may not be your product, right? But it positions you in a much more positive light. Just because someone doesn't buy from you now doesn't mean that they're not going to buy from you in the future. Mm. So when I think of life cycle, I literally think of lifetime. So I, I have a saying that I say, build a pipeline for life, not mm. for the, for the month or quarter or the year. And that will change your perspective of how you interact with every single person, because you're not thinking about the deal right now. You think about the deal when there is a deal, but in most scenarios, when you're interacting with somebody, you're not in a deal cycle. You are educating, informing, consulting, bringing value and those types of things. So really starting to think about the life cycle as listen, this person could wind up anywhere in their career. Who knows? So let's treat mm -hmm. them really, really well, even if they're not qualified. One thing I hate about sales is qualification. I understand mm -hmm. it's necessary, but the way we think about it is bad. Um, so broaden your concept of life cycle to your lifetime. How can you give people the most value and meet them where they are, where they are? Maybe I'm new in my role. I want to make a splash. I really would like to be successful. I want to get promoted, you know, whatever, like what can you do for that person to drive those mm -hmm. things? And maybe your solution can, you might be able to make them a hero with your solution, but you may be able to make them a hero some other way. You may be able to introduce them to someone awesome. You may, you know, who knows, who knows what it may be, but you'll find that just that perspective. And this is another thing I hate about sales is everything gets really myopic around your, your, your active pipeline who you're talking to, what's the next step, what's this and that. And I get it. Those things have to happen, especially as you scale an organization. But at the same time, let's treat people like people. And if you build this broad network of people that really you've added value to no matter where you were, 
that pipeline is going to start to organically fill up a lot faster over time than you think it will. Oh, music to my ears, Josh. I think uh, uh, it's very refreshing to hear, um, you know, especially from a sales leader and hearing about playing. And what I'm hearing is like playing the long game. You're playing this game of like, um, or, you know, what's been called, like, I think Simon Sinek is like, you know, the infinite game. And there's all different variations of this, of I think what we're, what you're hitting on, uh, which I think is super powerful. And, uh, but it's hard. And I think it's actually why I've, I've been in sales roles before and I hated it because it was so focused on the sales cycle. And also I think another misconception is, you know, maybe in the past 10 years, people have been able to, to focus a lot on the sales cycle versus the customer journey, which is much bigger and much broader, like you're talking about, uh, and optimize just for that. Because it's first, number one, it's very selfish. And if you're optimizing just for growth and, and what serves a the company, then sure, optimize for the sales cycle. But I think what you're hitting on, what I completely agree is almost like it's, it's the whole life cycle of the customer. But then also, um, because there's so much that goes on pre opportunity stage, right? Mm -hmm. Like, all the stats that show out and just even from my own anecdotal experience, and I'm sure from yours, many folks is, you know, you're researching online, right? You're, you're tapping into your community, you're consuming content, you're, there's all these different ways we're, we're, we're educating ourselves and then ultimately getting into that journey um, or in that journey. And um, I think it's super short-sighted to just be focusing on that sales cycle when, you know, it's a, it's a much bigger journey and even post-sale too, right? I think yeah. we forget about that. That's not just about acquisition. It's about retention and expansion. Um, you piqued my interest. I know we only have a few minutes left here, but you piqued my interest. Qualification. You said uh, we do it wrong. Tell me more about that. Well, nobody wants to be qualified, and you can feel it mm. when you're being qualified, right? Whether it's Bant mm. or Medic or Anum or whatever it is that you use. Just because someone checks a box in a conversation doesn't mean it's over, right? Mm. A deal could be qualified in the moment, but two days later, it could be, could be completely unqualified, right? So you have to think about qualification as a conversation and something that's fluid and mm. things you should be able to do gut checks every step along the way, right? And those gut checks aren't just, do you still have money or is your timeline still the end of the month? Or, you know what I mean? Like those aren't, those are like basic, Hey, you know, my sales manager told me I need to ask this types of qualification questions. It's just even the simplest thing of the next call three days later, Hey, it's been three days. Anything changed since we talked last? What, what's going on in your world? And who knows, man, they could have, their boss could have gotten fired. They could, it, it, there's an infinite number of things that could change qualification. So even if you go back to the very first thing we talked about, which was targeting, right? certain accounts are inherently going to be qualified if they're in your target profile. So yeah, this is a company we can sell to, you know, you can do some research online to make sure that they're doing okay. They're profitable. They got money, that type of thing. Okay, great. They're, that, that account is generally qualified. Now is this situation qualified? So you have to mm -hmm. think through that a little bit more holistically versus what's your timeline, what's your budget. Nobody really wants to answer that question. Most people probably don't even know there might not be a budget. Um, so it's up to you to dig in and do discovery to figure out, is this something where we can create budget where if it's a big enough problem we're solving budget will be allocated. Is this a person who's even a budget holder? And there's a, now there's a difference between budget holders and budget creators. 
right? So that's a part of your, that should be a part of your qualification process. Does this person just manage a budget and do they have autonomy over how do they manage, how they manage their budget? Have they spent their budget? Um, this person might be a budget creator. And if you find a big enough problem to solve, they'll create budget, right? There's just so many different things that go into it that requires you to do good discovery mm. versus what's your timeline, what's your budget? Like nobody really wants that. And there's really not a lot of value to that. I love it. I mean, you, you, I think I couldn't agree more, especially how you phrased, um, no one likes to be qualified. And from like a, an experience standpoint, um, you know, some of my most dreaded meetings, no offense uh, to anyone else. And I've been in their shoes. And I understand it's not completely their fault. It's the structures that we're talking about. But my least favorite meetings are talking with salespeople most of the time because I'm either feeling like either manipulated, pressured, um, not value add. So, you know, every, you know, every once in a while we come across a consultant mindset that somebody is like just trying to serve um, and trying to help me, you know, achieve our business objectives. Um, and uh, those people you, you almost build a relationship with, like you talked about, yeah. about that long-term rapport and with more competition, you know, more focus on having more efficiency, all these factors, all these uh, pressures, I think experience has to be uh, where we win. Um, obviously product too as well and, and, and your, your process as well, but ultimately building those relationships at scale, especially in, in larger markets um, and, and especially in enterprise going up market. Well, I'll, um, leave you, I'll leave you with yeah. this story as we're, as we're wrapping it up, just to kind of tie a bow on that. So in 2016, I met a, I think it was a chief revenue officer, a chief marketing officer at a conference, right? We do some follow-up, we start talking, they want to change some things. So we go through a sales cycle, maybe a couple of months worth. We start building out what this project's going to look like. We build out a business case. We do all the stuff. We build really good rapport. The deal ultimately gets shut down by the CFO at the 11th hour lose the deal, whatever. But that individual and I, um, I'm actually meeting with him next week. Um, when I go on a, on a trip and he's introducing me to a stable of investors from my firm, right? Like we've kept the relationship cool. going over the past eight years, right? Where it's just, Hey, we still talk, which, what are you doing in your new gig? He's been on the podcast. Like we've done lots of stuff. There was just some rapport build. And now he's like, Hey man, so you're doing a firm. If you're heading out my way, I got some people you should meet with. They'd be good investors. That's pipeline for life, right? Like no matter what you're it. doing, these people, if you're adding value to them, they're adding value to you and it's just going to, you know, all really work out in the end. But I know it's tough to do um, and you do have to make sales in order to keep your job. So I get that. But um, it's a balancing act. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thanks for coming on. Super great uh, wealth of wisdom. I'll have to have you on again. How can folks follow you and connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn's the best, just Josh Wagner. I think my thread is Josh Wagner, AZ, um, love selling, hate sales.com. You can go to the podcast. So that's probably the two easiest ways. Awesome, Josh. Thanks again for coming on. Talk to you soon. All right. Nice to have. Thank you.